Alana Bitro, your host. Welcome to Coming Together for the Good. Coming Together for the Good is a dialogue dedicated to providing information and techniques to deepen awareness and understanding of how we, as individuals, make desired changes that serve the greater good. Now more than ever, the world needs healing. Because of the pandemic, we all have a need to feel connected and at the same time experiencing a huge range of different emotions. We're not quite sure how comfortable we feel about resuming work or our everyday activities. My dear friend and life coach, Dr. Jane Eckert and I will be coming together for the good and having relevant conversations about concerns in our everyday life. As we adjust to a new normal, I hope you will take the time to listen and find these conversations informative and helpful. First, I'd like to introduce our expert, Dr. Jane Eckert. Dr. Jane Eckert is a licensed psychologist and life coach who has served in Akron, Ohio for almost 40 years in local hospitals, addiction treatment facilities, psychiatric units, and on community boards. She has extensive training in traditional psychotherapy and alternative models for health and wellness, such as energy psychology, energy medicine, and mindfulness meditation. She is highly regarded for her work in guiding people in overcoming the barriers that so many of us experience, which keeps us from lasting change and living from our best and highest self. Hello, Dr. Jane. Hi, Anna. Good How to see you? you. Good to see you too. It's good to be with you today. Yes, same here. Now we're three months into this pandemic, Dr. Jane, and into a new phase of re-entry. In some ways, it seems like people are more reactive than ever. What do you think of all this? Well, Anna, let's, let's look at the, the broad brushstroke. I mean, it was that three plus months ago, actually a little bit longer than that, that we were hearing about this horrific flu in China on the other side of the world. And then all of a sudden it started to creep in closer. You know, we saw the, the horror stories in, in Europe and pretty soon it reached our shores and it escalated really very quickly. And it became apparent also very quickly that we were sorely unprepared for it. Yeah. Yes. Things moved really, really quickly. You had the, you know, the, the stay at home orders and then there was a shelter uh, in, in place, obviously. Um, also all essential facilities were shut down. The schools were closed. Uh, There's social, social distancing and the masks. And then the daily news was really awful and quite terrifying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and when you think about it, Anna, this was really the perfect storm for fear where we have these mass um, incidents, you know, unpredictable uh, situations that is, you know, kind of taking over the world and with a really dangerous result. I mean, it really was the perfect storm for fear. And I very often think about this as uh, what I call the boogeyman phenomena, where we have this incredible danger that's lurking, but we're not able to pick it up with our five senses, but it's a killer. And so our 35,000 year old wiring goes on high alert and is constantly troweling for danger. Where is it? What is it? How is it going to affect me? Yeah. Yeah, it sincerely has felt like an overwhelming storm. Yeah, and it is overwhelming. And the other piece that I think is incredibly um, important to look at is the uncertainty factor. There's something about this unknown factor that heightens the fear and keeps us in heightened fear. It has to do with the whole piece of um, who do I trust? Um, what is normal? 
what's going to happen? Are we going to get back to, to our situation or our, our, our uh, lifestyles and our routines that have been disrupted? Um, I mean, people like variety, but on a whole, you know, we're not keen on change, particularly if it's forced change, you know? And so this is about, this is about the fear taking over and our future is uncertain, mm-hmm. you know? Our future is really kind of on hold for many of us. We don't know what the new normal is going to be or how I'm going to get where I, you know, where I need to be. Yes. Yeah. The, but the trouble is, you know, for me, and I know for a lot of other people, it's just being uh, finding safety. It's odd because even at home, I felt some, uh, you know, sometimes a real sense of unease. Yes. Uh, the news reporting offered little to ease my mind, nor provided any sense of safety. Um, you know, I believe it made us all feel like who and what do we trust? Well, I think you're absolutely right. So a lot of people are experiencing, you know, higher levels of irritability, um, a lot of anger, a lot of sleep disturbances, a lot of negative thinking. Um, people are gaining weight, losing weight, using alcohol and, and drugs um, more often. I mean, it's all part of this prolonged stress. Yeah, so my sense of unease really does fit the situation. Absolutely. Anna, we're kind of whirling in fear and the brain can be both friend and foe. You know, we're wired, as I mentioned before, 35,000 year old wiring. We have, an, we have an actual kind of fear network that's built in. There are parts that work together. We have the primitive brain, which is very, very um, susceptible to any kind of a threat and moves us um, quickly. I mean, literally in a heartbeat because of a little uh, organ called the amygdala. It's kind of the smoke detest- detector. When there's a threat, moves us into a survival mode, which gears the whole system up to fight, run, or disengage for our own safety. Sheer survival. This truly is the, the perfect storm. And, um, and the uncertainty of not knowing how this is all going to play out, it really keeps our fear whirling. That's right. And so when the fear is whirling, then we're also in the survival piece. And so we have the increased heart rate, increased respiratory rate, dry mouth, gastro, gastrointestinal system slows down. Any organ that is not needed for survival kind of goes offline. Last time you were involved in a near fall or a swerve to avoid an accident, you probably felt this high alert that goes into action when there's a threat. And by the way, it doesn't turn off until the threat is gone. Yeah. So what you're saying is that the stress response kind of starts in the brain, but then quickly spreads throughout the body and puts it kind of in high alert. Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, the body believes everything we think. And that what's an interesting piece is um, the other part of the fear network has to do with the more recent developed part of the brain, the, the cerebral cortex. And the thinking brain um, is interesting because it can actually move into uh, the survival mode and really kind of change it around so that it interprets it differently. And the way that it does this is there's part of the, the primitive brain called the hippocampus that works with the prefrontal cortex. And together, they can reinterpret what's happening. So we can move from a stress response, our body believes that there's something that's a threat, but our thinking brain can actually reinterpret that. So it can become excitement, 
or it can actually become enjoyable. It's what allows our, our um, uh, people to enjoy haunted houses at Halloween or the demon drop at Cedar Point, that we're actually able to tell, take something that would be perceived normally as being dangerous and somehow reinterpret it that it's not so, it's not so bad. And the way that this plays into what's happening in the pandemic is we can also reinterpret all those different factors in the pandemic. So someone can actually say, well, maybe I, maybe I don't need to play it safe. Maybe, I, maybe I've gathered information that says, um, this isn't so bad, or the boogeyman isn't real. And then I'm going to look for news report, reports and information that support that. So pretty soon it's about, well, there's no boogeyman. And so there's really no need to wear the mask and there's really no need to social distance. And there we are, just a different interpretation. Wow. Whether it's a, a real threat or not a real threat, it's all according, obviously, what you were saying to the thinking brain. That's exactly right. The thinking brain can, can reinterpret. It can also bring us out of fear. It can help us create an action plan that kind of moves us to safety. Um, all of this was enormously helpful when we were hit with the shelter at home and the working from home, this homeschooling, you know, all the mandates that came out, the mass closings. You know, the brain really supported developing new plans given that we had kind of new guidelines in how we were living day to day. Yeah, I'm wondering how anyone could minimize the danger, you know, and um, I know uh, I, sometimes I wonder, you know, what does their thinking, you know, why does their thinking take a different direction than mine? Yeah, and the, and the, the reason is that their thinking brain has moved in a pathway that allows them to minimize it because they're, they're reinterpreting it, okay? And whenever we start to look in a certain direction, you know, like they're looking at, there is no boogeyman, they will look for all the information that supports that. And quite frankly, it's available. It's available, it's right there, yeah. Uh, Dr. Jane, even though this, you know, sounds posit very positive, I bet there's more negative, there's a more negative take that the thinking brain can move into. Well, absolutely, Anna. You know, the thinking brain is a master at creating um, stories and stories of terror and catastrophe if left unattended. You know, it's part of the survival mechanism that the brain is going to, to really trowel for potential danger. It's what allows us to, you know, find the danger and do what needs to be done and then find, you know, find safety. But the thing is, is that, that oftentimes the thinking brain in high levels of stress goes completely offline. But when it's not offline, it, it can um, really exacerbate, you know, and intensify all kinds of reactivity. You know, this is really how we play out, you know, um, anxiety and fear. Yeah, I was, just gonna, I was just gonna ask you that. That's very interesting. So where do worry and anxiety come in? Well, let's just take anxiety, first of all. I think of this as kind of the cousin to fear. It's very often less intense than fear, although when someone's having a panic attack, that's, that can be sheer terror. But for the most part, it tends to be a less intense fear, it's a sustained fear, but it has to do with more of the anticipation of the danger rather than actual danger. So I'm thinking about what could happen, or I'm imagining 
what could happen. The key with this is to remember that the body believes everything we think. So if I'm thinking about a dangerous situation, my body is going to be gearing up. I will be in reactivity. And then this is where the worry comes in, okay? Because then it's about, I need to have a plan for this imagined danger. So I need to imagine what the plan will be for me to get out of danger. So this looping is what takes place. You know, the danger for the, the survival mechanism to be triggered can either be real or not. It can be about me or it can be about others. But clearly, it triggers the heart palpitations and the tension and the feeling on edge, the sweating, the nervousness, all the apprehension, racing thoughts, and very often that, that and I know we've probably all experienced that kind of nauseous kind of feeling of mm -hmm. just being in constant disruption. Once it's activated, it's very difficult to bring it back to balance. So my body can say it's real, even if it's, even if it's not. It's, it's giving me all those signals telling me this is really real. That's exactly right. It loops with the anxiety. So both the thinking brain and the body's reactivity are working together. Most people believe that they worry because they're practicing and rehearsing and are going to be better prepared when the danger hits, not realizing they're actually wearing themselves down. But the worry is that thinking part that is really trying to bring me out of the angst and the fear. But what it does is it actually feeds it because one, one scenario is never enough. We play it over and over again. So the worry can be minor, it can be extreme, you know, but the body sensations are going to be there because we're in reactivity. So we're writing and rewriting the screenplay, but I'm perpetuating and intensifying the anxiety. Yeah, I know sometimes I feel anxious and I'm not even sure why. I know there's probably a lot of people that feel the same way. Yes, and one of the things that, that's interesting is those gaps are very often filled in by the thinking brain. It's kind of like I can wake up in the middle of the night and my body can be all tense. Immediately, my thinking brain goes to, what's wrong? What's wrong, Jane? Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to fill those gaps in. I'm trawling for where is the danger? You know, and so the worry starts in and I'm going to crank out a few plans and one's never enough. And it just kind of keeps looping. And there's a lot of information to keep straight. And I just read your line. So let's just move into that other part. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me. Whoops. Where'd you go? There you go. Uh, trust me. It's okay. Oh, Lord. Okay. Oh, so funny. <clears throat> okay, so Dr. Jane, how can we bring this all back online? You know, we've been, this is, there's a lot of information here. How do we bring it back online? Well, one of the things I, I want to, um, I like to use is the lion analogy, that when we are in fear, mm -hmm. you know, there is, there is a real lion chasing us. We're in imminent danger and we need to find safety. This is really what fear is all about. This is really what the survival mechanism is all about when it is, when it is being used for our survival. Yeah. So the lion is there. It is dangerous and run. Right. But then we also have, you know, situations where the lion is there, but it's not dangerous. Like when we visit a zoo, the lion is a dangerous animal, but it's perfectly safe because it's caged. Okay. Our interpretation is things are safe. 
the lion isn't real. And so that tends to be the context, all right? This can heighten our sensitivity or it can neutralize or minimize the threat. And then we have the imagined lion, and this is anxiety. And the anxiety is that I have an anticipation or imagine that the lion is going to chase me. My body believes everything I think. I start to crank it up. I'm going full speed ahead. And then I also have the worry that's going to keep it alive by coming up with plans. Oh, no, that's not going to work. Let's try this. Maybe that won't work. Let's try this. So I'm constantly looping. I'm constantly moving in that direction of finding the perfect solution for it that keeps going around and around. This is interesting. Now that I know that the phone's ringing, I'll have to realize, I mean, do something about that next time. Uh, no, this is interesting. It sounds like we have more in control than what I you know, originally thought. So what can you recommend that we do? Well, one of the things that, that I'm a, um, I really support people learning quieting practices, but I need to say that these need to be learned and practiced at times that we're not in a high level of reactivity because then they become the tool or technique that we can go to. But probably the, the most fundamental is using our breath by tracking our breath and bringing our full attention to our breath in the present moment really allows us to begin to settle. And that's just feeling my breath enter my body, noticing how my body responds to it, releasing the breath. This is a quieting technique that brings us into this place where I'm out of the thinking brain, which is, you know, going to be planning and going to be anticipating and brings us into really a different vantage point. And then if we can add a phrase or a two-syllable word to the breathing, that also adds one more barrier, kind of a mental device that keeps me from being pulled into the thought process that keeps the reactivity alive. So something like, I'm okay, relax, let go, let God. Those are all pieces that can be done on the inhale and the exhale as a mental device to quiet as we're sensing into the breath. We can also put our fingertips to our prefrontal cortex here and bring the, the blood flow back. That's also a very quieting kind of technique, just nice, easy breathing. And then the last thing that I usually suggest are any thoughts that are related to love or gratitude. A lot of people are very familiar with gratitude lists and know how that can kind of bring them out of kind of a negative bias. Well, this is using any kind of memories or thoughts of love, appreciation, gratitude, or compassion to kind of bring ourselves back to balance. And there's a whole um, uh, library of research done by the HeartMath Institute in California that tracks a cardiac field that goes eight to 10 feet from the body and whenever we're thinking about love, appreciation, gratitude, or compassion, we're actually able to amplify that field and bring ourselves into a state of well-being. So it's enormously productive to be able to have these techniques. Again, these are techniques that need to be practiced outside of reactivity so we can access them in reactivity. Well, these practices sound wonderful and they sound very doable. You know, now, now that we're, we've been talking about all this and with the, uh, the ongoing reactivity, I'm wondering if next time we could possibly talk more about anxiety and, um, you know, the anxiety that we're all probably experiencing right now 
during this whole pandemic. You know, Anna, I think, I think you're right. I think that, you know, once we have, have this, a sense of, you know, kind of like, what are the fundamentals, you know, of fear, anxiety, and worry, we can now begin to look at what happens when it's more prolonged and intensified. And what are some of the, what are some of the indications that we could be in some, some significant trouble and maybe need some professional help? Let's talk about that. That's a great idea. Yeah, let's make that our next topic to discuss on coming together for the good, Dr. Jane. That sounds great. Thank you again. This has been incredibly informative. 